So I have to admit, um, I'm a little nervous today. I did a homily back when um, we were still fully remote. And this is my first time giving one um, live here in person at Vesper with a room full of people. So it's a little bit of a different experience. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and dive in. Um, as is our custom, we like to open our homilies with an opening question. And I'd like you to think of a time when you were stranded and you needed to ask for help, maybe possibly ask a stranger for help. And I'd like you to think specifically about the feelings that came up. Now, I know this might not be the most pleasant of um, scenario to think about. So if you're feeling brave, maybe share with a neighbor sitting next to you or just think quietly to yourself. I respect that, too. So we'll take a couple minutes for that. All right, um, I'll share a recent example from my life, and maybe some of you had something similar because we are Americans and we drive everywhere and we are very dependent on our cars. And recently I had my um, car battery, my car battery died in the middle of a mini mart parking lot. And I was like, okay, I know what to do. So I, I got out my phone and I placed a roadside assistance request with my insurance through, my, through the app on my phone. It was really easy. And then that app just like drained my phone. Like it was at like 30%. And I started going through some scenarios. I was like, well, I could take my charger into the mini mart. And then I realized my charger was just the cord to plug into my car. I didn't have the wall uh, adapter. And I was like, okay, well, maybe maybe I just wait and see if the guy shows up and maybe he won't call me and confirm or anything like that. And I was like, that feels risky, but like, well, let's just see what happens. I gave them an address and it seemed to work. And so I was going through all these scenarios and I was starting to panic a little bit. Um, and then I remembered my a friend of mine lived in the neighborhood nearby and... Um, Luckily, she was working from home that day. I had enough battery to like text her frantically. And she came and brought me a portable charger. The roadside assistance guy came. Everything was fine. Um, I kind of knew what to do from there. But I went from feeling really confident, like I know how to handle this situation, to feeling really vulnerable. And I don't know if that's maybe a similar feeling that you might have had in your situation of having to ask for help. But it's a little bit scary and we come from a culture that values self-sufficiency, so asking for help is not something that we're used to. At least in my situation, it was just like, I'm comp I know what to do. Um, and then in that moment, and yes, I did, but I still had to ask someone for help. And um, I think that's a, I'd like us to hang on to some of those feelings as we move into our scripture passage today. Um, so when I was looking at the scripture verses available with like when I, I told Christopher, yes, I'm going to do this date for my homily. And then I looked at the scripture verses and I saw one of them is essentially a version of the Lord's prayer. I was like, Oh, uh, do I really want to do that? <laughs> but then like I was sitting with it and I was thinking about it more and I was like, okay, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to do a homily on the Lord's prayer. Um, the first thing I noticed when I looked at the scriptures for today is that it starts with the disciples asking Jesus how to pray. Um, they say, teach us to pray. And so then I realized this is, this is yes, this is like the big one, um, but it's also in the context of Jesus teaching us. 
and teaching his disciples. So as I said, the Lord's Prayer is this like foundational piece of our faith. And yet, as I was doing research on it and reading all these commentaries, I learned the Lord's Prayer is actually, and this is not surprising, but it's, it surprised me a little bit. It's very Jewish. It's like part of Jewish liturgy. And it's, it's interesting because if you actually look at the words, it's not, it's not all that Christian. It's because it's coming right out of the Jewish tradition. Um, John Dominic Crossan, who is an Irish theologian and a former Catholic priest, he writes a lot about the historical Jesus. So the Jesus as a Jewish man living um, in that area of the Mediterranean in the first century. And he wrote a book on the Lord's Prayer. And this is what he says. And this really struck me because I, I think it's true. Um, the Lord's Prayer is Christianity's great prayer. It is also Christianity's strangest prayer. It is prayed by all Christians, but never mentions Christ. It is prayed in churches, but it never mentions church. It is called the Lord's Prayer, but it never mentions Lord. It is prayed by Christians who emphasize what it never mentions, and also prayed by Christians who ignore what it does. You could respond, of course, that there is nothing strange there at all. It is, you might say, a Jewish prayer from the Jewish Jesus, hence nothing Christian or even Jewish Christian is present. But that only invites us to start the questions of strangeness all over again. So now one thing I want to be a little careful of is not to automatically think it's strange because it's Jewish and just like associate the otherness with Jewishness. I don't want to do that. And I don't think that's what Crossan's doing either. Um, but I do think his point stands that like we think of this as foundationally Christian, but it's not. <laughs> it's Jewish. So that is helpful to think about um, what we can learn from the Old Testament as we begin to approach this a little bit more deeply. Um, so I'd like to take a look at the verses we think of as being the Lord's Prayer. And I do want to say I intentionally chose a more contemporary translation because I wanted us to think a little bit more about them in a way that maybe wasn't coming from our rote memory. So Jesus tells the disciples, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. So first of all, I want to acknowledge like it's shorter than the version that we, um, we usually pray, which is pulled from the book of Matthew. Um, and as I was looking at this, this is the New Living Translation. As I was looking at this, um, the first thing I looked at, the first line that jumped out at me was, may your kingdom come soon. So as someone who is a 21st century American... I struggle with the term kingdom. It's never really landed right with me. I've always struggled a little bit with the way that American Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity, invokes these ideas of a monarchy, calling God king, Jesus ruler, um, Lord, even the term Lord. It just isn't something that makes a ton of sense to me because that's not the kind of government I have experienced. Um, so sometimes it helps for me to think like, how else can we phrase this concept? And 
one way that I started thinking about it, at least in the concept of like, what would it mean for God's kingdom to come soon? What would that be? And I started thinking maybe a better word for kingdom might be community or city or even neighborhood, something more local than maybe perhaps a big king on a hill. Um, and, and even more helpful for me to not think about like a man in a white house, you know, but maybe like God's kingdom being something a little bit more locally situated. I think it's also helpful to think about the book of Luke as the first part of a two part series. So Luke, uh, the, the writer of Luke was giving us a, a biography of Jesus in the gospel. And then in part two, which is the book of Acts, it's a history of the early church. And so I think it's also helpful to think about how um, Luke is telling us, may God's kingdom come soon. And then in Acts, he kind of gives us a picture of... Um, of what that might look like. And so I pulled, I pulled a passage from the book of Acts, and it's a rather famous one. It's from Acts um, chapter 4. And um, some of you may be familiar with this passage. And, and it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. That was one thing that struck, to, struck me as I was looking at this um, in the context of the Lord's Prayer. And then also, there were no needy among them. So the early church was kind of this radical little community that was very countercultural to the dominant culture of the day. And also this was a group of people who were part of Roman-occupied territory. And so in their little community, they were able to come together and share with each other and take care of each other and be united together, perhaps in a place where there was a lot of division. And so then when I see a phrase like there were no needy people among them, like that's, that's ripped right from the lines of give us this day the food we need. Um, so that's like a little glimpse of what God's kingdom might be. John Crossan talks about this concept as enoughism. And at first when I saw enoughism, I thought it was a little cheesy. Um, he just made that up. Um, But he was using this term in contrast to human forms of government. And I think that's another trap that sometimes people fall into when they look at some of these verses from the book of Acts. um, Is that maybe, oh, it looks a little bit like socialism or communism. And John Crossan is like, well, it's not those human forms of government. It's it's God's enoughism. Now, um, I'll happily have a political conversation afterwards. Those of you who know me know that I will. But I do want to kind of focus on how this is God's vision of justice. You could think of it as distributive justice as opposed to punitive justice. So distribution, not retribution. Everyone gets what they need. And this is pulled directly from the Old Testament. Um, The prophets were constantly calling out the, the land of Israel and saying, Like, you aren't doing what God has called you to do. And they had this concept of jubilee, where debts would be wiped and wealth and land would be redistributed. And that's what God's vision of a kingdom always was. So again, like, this is a Jewish prayer. And this Jewish vision of uh, distributive justice is what Jesus is telling us to pray for. 
Okay, so we get we get a little bit of of what to pray for, and then Jesus gives this parable. And I'm gonna tell y'all, I struggled with this parable. Um, I was like, "What? This is weird." Um, some translations call this parable the friend in need, but I think a better translation is the shameless friend. Um, I'm going to retell it a little bit in a modern context. I don't think it's an apples to apples uh, translation, but I'm going to try here. So let's say I have a friend who comes into town and her flight gets in around midnight and she's hungry because she's been traveling all day and I'm hosting her and I want to feed her. So I I pick her up from the airport and let's just say for some reason, Kirby Lane and all the 24 hour food places in Austin are not open. Let's just assume that that would be weird, but roll with it. Um, So we come back to my house, and I realize, oh, uh, I don't have any food to give her. So I decide to go knock on my next-door neighbor's door, and it's midnight. And I'm pounding on her door, and I, her kids wake up, her two dogs start barking, and she's annoyed, as she should be. (laughs) And, um... I'm like, hey, can you give me some food for my friend who just traveled? And she's like, no, go away. Um, Which which is the right response, I think. But um, say I don't have any other ideas of what to do. So I keep knocking and I keep bugging my neighbor. And finally, she's like, oh, my God, go away. And gives me, like, here's here's some eggs, go. (laughs) Like, so, again, I don't know that it's, like, an exact... uh, exact modern example of this parable, but all that to say that Jesus is pointing out the shamelessness of the pounding on the door at midnight. Um, and what was helpful for me was that there is, um, there was, there was one commentary I was reading that kind of contextualized this a little bit more for Jesus's culture where honor and shame were a big deal and that one's, one's honor was was often at stake around hospitality, but also um, the person knocking on the door is putting their honor aside for someone else. And uh, and the theologian Sharon Ringe said this that I thought was, was helpful for me to conceptualize this. The middle friend's behavior is in fact shameless in the way that he violated the boundaries of his friend's privacy and disrupted the peace of the town. He sacrifices his own proper shame in order to help uh, help needed to, in order to obtain the help needed to care for his guest. The friend who at first refuses to help is won over by his neighbor's willingness to risk his own vulnerability for the sake of the traveler in need. So this kind of brought me back to that original question um, where I was thinking about how vulnerable it is sometimes to ask and to come from that place of maybe a little panic um, of really needing something. And Jesus is saying that's where you need to ask from, that kind of place of I've put my dignity aside and I'm going to advocate for this. So this leads right into what I think might be the most famous part of this particular passage in Luke. And I'm going to tell you, I've heard some, and I think, I think there's a version of this in Matthew as well, but I have heard versions of this next set of verses my whole life in church, and um, let's go ahead and read it. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. All right. When I first read this, I was probably reading it in the New International Version, which is the version I grew up with, and I could just feel my shoulders tensing, like my body being like, oh, I don't like this verse. And I think part of why I have kind of a negative reaction to this is because I've seen how this verse has been used in some really negative ways. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily what Jesus was saying, but it's the way other Christians have used it. And I do think sometimes there's it's tied to like the prosperity gospel and this idea that if you just pray hard enough, if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, you'll get what you want. And like that does not always happen. Like, sometimes, no matter how much we put our own personal willpower into something, stuff does not work out for us. And then I think of the maybe less, less like Protestant work ethic interpretation that I've often heard, which is maybe seems a little kinder, but is still, I think, not helpful for me all the time, is that like, it sort of wraps us up with a nice little bow. Like, the questions aren't really answered. The tough parts around this aren't addressed. Um, But it's just like, just keep asking. That's what Jesus wants from us. And like, God wants the best for us. And we just need to trust that, which doesn't explain why when people pray for their loved ones to be healed from some terrible disease, and then they pass away, and our prayers don't seem like they're answered. Like, it doesn't really help me to hear that version either. Um, And so I don't entirely know how I feel about this, like, just keep asking and you'll get it. And I'm like, but a lot of times we ask and we don't. And then it feels even more frustrating when I think about the current moment that we're in. And like, I don't know, like, there's something right now that it feels very 2022, where I feel like it's a little bit apocalyptic, like it's so hot, right? (laughs) Like the world is literally on fire. And it's not just hot here. It's hot and it was 104 degrees in London (laughs) and like I don't know like it's not just me praying for like my needs or my family's needs but like the world's needs like I I made a word cloud um I don't know if we can pull that up um yeah like like things feel intense right now like I don't know around the world there's a lot going on and then locally there's a lot Um, I mean, the Uvalde shooting and that video, just like heaviness upon heaviness. And then like the pandemic is still going on. We kind of don't want to admit that, but it is. People are still dying from COVID and now there's monkeypox. And like, I don't know, like inflation is bad. Thank God gas prices have gone down, but people are really having a hard time right now for a whole bunch of different reasons. And it feels hard, at least to me, to just be like... I don't know. Okay, Jesus, I'll just pray. I'll just ask. And part of me is like, I don't believe you. Because <laughs> this all feels really intense and hard, and I don't know what to do with all of it. So again, shoulders tensing, right? Um, and as I was doing research for this homily, I kind of turned to this little prayer book I have by Padraig Otuma. And um, he, he says this about prayer, and it it, yeah, he says, prayer is words and shape and art around desperation and delight and disappointment and desire. Prayer can be the art that helps you name your desire. And even if the desire is only named, 
Well, naming is a good thing, surely. Naming is what God did, the Jews tell us, and the world unfolded. Or perhaps naming is what the Jews did, and God unfolded. I love that. Either way, I'm thankful. Naming things is part of the creative impulse. Naming the deep desire of our heart is a good thing, even if those desires are never satisfied. Yeah. When I read this, I just like, you know, I just like my body softened. Like I could feel some of that tension release. What I love about Padre Gotuma's work is he leaves a little space for the hard feelings, for the bad feelings. He leaves a little space for those to exist, that we don't have to have a nice, neat little bow to wrap up our questions. And look, I still struggle a little bit with this ask and you'll receive stuff. I still struggle a little bit. But as I, as I feel myself soften a little bit hearing um, Otuma's words, I started, like when I was working on this, I started to reflect on, um, on okay, Jesus is saying to ask, what do I want to ask for? And... I started to think about, okay, if this is about bringing God's kingdom here, I think I want to pray for what's around me. Um, so I heard, I think we, I heard this story on NPR um, a couple weeks ago about the mayoral race in Los Angeles and um, the candidates are talking about homelessness, like uh, in a big way. Like, it's a big part of their platforms. It's, it's something they're talking about a lot. And they actually interviewed a woman who is herself unhoused. She had um, lost her job, and then she got evicted from her apartment, and then she ended up on the streets. And, and she said this. They, and I, she said, this is California. It's one of the richest states in the country. Why is this happening, this homelessness? And I just thought, you can replace California with Texas, and you can replace Los Angeles with Austin. And like this, this is very familiar. I mean, I think even on the way here, we passed some tent encampments under an overpass. And I just have to wonder, like, there is so much wealth in Austin right now. There's so much. Like, I feel like every time I turn around, there's another Tesla. And then there's like, and, and they're terrible drivers. Um, no offense if you drive a Tesla. I'm sure you're the exception. <laughs> Um, but all that to say there's like all these Teslas on the road all these million dollar homes being flipped or built on lots um, in neighborhoods that were and I I think this this inequality has always existed in Austin I think I think if you know anything about the history of the city like this has always happened Um, and yet there's a particular way it's manifesting right now in 2022 And, like, it makes me really angry. Like, it makes me angry sometimes where I'm like, there is so much wealth here. Why, why are so many people in need at the same time? Like, and then I realized, like, that's what I want to pray for. And that's actually kind of what Jesus is telling us to pray for. Because I can't solve it, and I don't know that I have a ton of solutions. Um, And I don't even know if the solutions we're trying are going to (laughs) work. but at least I can pray for it, right? Like, that feels like something I want to put my energy towards. 
and to be a little shameless about it too. Like maybe I need to put my dignity aside a little bit and be a little shameless about some of these things. Um, and then I also thought like thinking locally, like if it's not just bringing God's kingdom, but say God's community, God's neighborhood, like I want Vox to be a part of that too. Like I want us to be part of bringing God's kingdom here and making sure everyone has enough. And I feel like sometimes we're a little stuck. (laughs) Um, We've been asking this tough question, wrestling with this for a while. What's the balance between action and contemplation? How much do we sit back and rest versus how much do we we do and try? Um, And I don't have any answers for that either, but I do think in the context of this passage and this prayer, it's something I can pray for that we be part we take part in bringing God's kingdom here to Austin and that we do it from a healthy place and we leave space for our own rest and ways to interact with God in multiple ways both in silence and in action so i think it's something the next time i pray the lord's prayer even the traditional version that we're going to pray in a little bit with the eucharist i think i'm going to be thinking about these things um in a slightly different way, I'll be thinking about all the stuff that I just learned, and, and I hope that you will too. So I want to close with yet another version of the Lord's Prayer, and I have to thank Christopher for sharing this with me, because I, I had never heard of it. Um, it's the New Zealand Anglican version, and it was written with input from Maori and other indigenous Pacific Islanders who are part of that church. And um, I just really love it, so I'd like, I'd like for us to end with this. Eternal spirit, earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, source of all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven. The hallowing of your name echo through the universe. The way of your justice be followed by the peoples of the world. Your heavenly will will be be done by all creative beings. Your commonwealth of peace and freedom sustain our hope and come on earth. With the bread we need for today, feed us. In the hurts we absorb from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, strengthen us. From trials too great to endure, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you reign in the glory of the power that is love, now and forever. Amen.